0: And one, two, three, four. Welcome, everyone, to the Life Point Table Talk podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm coming in today solo. We are continuing with our Bible reading reflection, reading the Bible through this year. Really been enjoying it and as usual we've got a lot to go through here and uh today we are at week 25 thank you all for continuing along and uh i hope you're reading along or uh listening along and uh we are uh i'm really enjoying it and uh it's been a uh, Uh, A real blessing. Uh, And uh, this week we are at Nehemiah 7 all the way through Esther. All of Esther and then to Job uh, up to the third chapter. And then we got Acts 3 through 7. Uh, So a lot going on there. And... um, Man, I really have uh, uh been uh impressed or affected and uh by uh, the Book of Nehemiah, I feel like it's a great uh story of uh uh, uh rebuilding and recovery and um uh kind of a template there of that process. It's really beautiful. And so, um, uh, we're starting today at Nehemiah 7. All right. And so just a refresher here, uh, the Jewish people had been exiled from Israel to Babylon and, uh, that was under Nebuchadnezzar. Then, uh, The Persian king came and took over and uh, Cyrus and then Xerxes and they have been allowed, not just allowed, but uh, given uh, resources and um, favor from the king to go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls specifically. So at seven, uh, Nehemiah is the governor of Jerusalem. He's been put in charge. And so uh, they have uh, completed the walls. They're starting to put the doors on. They're putting gatekeepers and guards. Um, It says there were only some people settled actually in Jerusalem uh, because uh, a lot of the houses had actually been torn down. So they were still uh, rebuilding the houses. So they actually rebuilt the walls Before they even really uh, Renovated the entire city Which is uh, Interesting um, So God puts on Nehemiah's heart To go back through the gene- genealogical Records And he starts settling people Actually in Jerusalem there And it lists the Different families and the priests And the Levites who had returned from Babylon And And uh, who are uh, placed there in Jerusalem um, And others, it also lists uh, different priests, Levites And temple guards who are uh, And ordinary families who are settled around in the towns of Judah So uh, a lot of lists there uh, We get into chapter 8 And um, They bring all the people together, and uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are connected. They're really kind of one book. and uh, So they bring all the people together, and they have Ezra come, who's like the expert in the law, and they have him set up on a big uh, platform, uh, like above all the people, and uh, he reads uh, from the book of the law. Um, to all the people. And when he gets up to read, this is is pretty amazing. Uh, He praises God and the people. It says the people lift their hands and they're saying amen and they bow down to the ground with their faces to the ground, worshiping God. Um, And it says he read from early in the morning until noon and also the Levites were there teaching and explaining uh the things of God to the people. Um Nehemiah is the governor and Ezra is the priestly scribe. Um and they decide to make this day holy to the Lord. And um it's just it's amazing. They the people are mourning and weeping because they're they're hearing uh, about the things of God again, and they know they're, they've been away from God. But uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites decide that this day is holy, and they actually tell them not to mourn or weep. Um, he tells them to go and actually celebrate, to eat the good food, uh, the good drinks and the sweets, and to give to those who do not have... And uh, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You hear that all the time. Joy of the Lord is your strength. This is where this comes from. Uh, they were actually having to encourage them because they uh, were weeping because they were realizing how off off the mark they had been, really. And um, But they're saying, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And uh, so they cheer them up, and they have the people leaving joyful uh, for what they've learned, and um, they celebrate together. Um, at this time, they they reintroduce the some of the festivals, the festival of temporary shelters, uh, which is a cool one. They go and they get uh, tree branches, uh, palm branches, and make little shelters and they celebrate that festival Uh, it's the one where they are kind of reenacting their time in the wilderness where they had to uh kind of make uh temporary moving moving uh little houses for themselves shelters and it says they hadn't celebrate like this uh celebrated like this since the days of joshua um and so that, uh, it was a fest festival that lasted for seven days. Uh, chapter 9, we get into, it says later in the month, the people come together, and uh, they're confessing their sins to the Lord and the sins of their ancestors, uh, their ancestors who wouldn't listen to the law. And people are praising God and they're praying and this happens a lot when they when they pray they they retell their story uh which I love that they're continually retelling this story and they're retelling uh in their prayer as a form of praise all the things that God had done for them and uh it literally goes back all the way to creation and Abraham, the time as slaves in Egypt, Moses crossing the Red Sea, manna from heaven, the time uh, where God came down in Sinai and gave them the law, and then they were disobedient and they forgot everything, and the golden calf. They go through this whole thing, and I'm I'm pointing this out too because uh, when we get to Acts, this this same uh, storyline is laid out. Uh, actually, specifically when Stephen is, uh, especially when Stephen is being tried and, uh, he's preaching to all the people there. Same, same deal. Goes through the whole story. His leads up to Jesus. Uh, uh, so they're praying and they're retelling all the good things God has done for them. All the way conquering the prophets, uh, 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 uh taking the land uh, God helping them over their enemies and them actually being slaves again the whole deal in that prayer Um, at this time Nehemiah has the priests the Levites the temple guards the singers and the temple workers and their families to sign an agreement that they will separate themselves from foreigners And if they fail to obey this law, then they are under a curse. And uh, they also agreed not to let their uh, children marry foreigners. This was a huge deal uh, at this time because it was influencing uh, the people to... uh, It happened over and over to serve other gods. And... um, They agreed to follow the law and the Sabbath rules and to tithe and to giving to the temple and toward the uh, uh, process there in the temple with the sacred uh, uh, instruments. Um, The leaders and the people start to settle in Jerusalem, um, but there's only so much room for them. Uh, A lot of people live in the surrounding towns in Judah. Um it, it kind of lists the, uh, well, lists the different tribes and leaders who live there. Um, it actually says uh, we get into 12, many of the priests and Levites actually returned to Babylon. They were there, uh, I guess, to see help things be rebuilt and then they actually go back. And it has a long list of uh, the people who went back. Um, and so uh, it talks about how they all came together and they dedicated the city walls when they were finished, and they had this huge procession where Nehemiah set it up where the leaders of Judah uh, marched on top of the walls in different directions. They went around the whole city uh, on top of the walls, blowing trumpets and playing instruments, and uh, he had them go in the opposite directions. Directions, and then they they meet all together in front of the temple, and have a huge uh, celebration there. It's really a beautiful moment with all they've gone through there, and um, it, it basically it's talking about how things are back, back working as they should. The Levites and the priests and the singers and the guards are all doing their jobs. And following the instructions that they had from David and Solomon, um, get into chapter thirteen. It's talking about how the people are starting to to send away anyone who had foreign ancestry. So they are cleaning house in Jerusalem. There, um, anybody who was not of their people, they were they were kicking them out. Um, and as it ends here, Nehemiah lists several several areas uh, where he was basically putting uh, things in Jerusalem in order in the temple and and with the people, and uh, he lists uh, several different things here. It starts off with him. Uh, the the last chapter here is 13 i was it, it starts off talking about how they start sending away people uh who had foreign ancestors and uh he tells the story how he purifies the storeroom they had had been using it for other purposes and had defiled it and uh he brings it back into right standing and he puts trustworthy leaders in place and after each of these things, he he tells God, "Please remember that I've done this for you. Um, don't forget that I've done these uh, these acts for your temple and for its service." Um, he also uh, starts pushing for the people to uh, adhere to the Sabbath. Tells a long story about traders and sellers who are working on the sabbath and he goes and confronts them and uh, again he asks god to remember how he's setting the house in order and uh, again he confronts those who are married to foreigners Uh, in his anger he calls down curses on them and says he even pulls their hair out it's pretty wild makes him a promise not to marry foreigners. Uh, He's he's pushing this influence out of Judah. And um, again, he's praying to God that God would bless him uh, for what he's done. And so that is where uh, Nehemiah ends. And so... So basically, it, Nehemiah, uh, Ezra—it's that rebuilding process. Um, amazing, they are fought the entire time. He—it starts off with uh, them praying, and they find favor, and they repent, and um, they have the courage to act, and they rebuild, and they they build. Uh, With a shovel in one hand, a sword in the other. And uh, so they have to fight while they're building. And it ends there with uh, uh, returning uh, to a commitment to the things of God and to uh, putting their house in order. Putting their house in order. And uh, again, I think uh, Nehemiah is an incredible uh, template. and. Uh, Story Of recovery and redemption And uh, what that process looks like It's uh, really beautiful And so uh, we get into Esther now Uh, Esther is a story um, This is during the time uh, When the Jewish people are Under the king of Persia uh, Xerxes And And So, this is kind of a flash uh, backwards, in a way. Um, um, The people have been... I'm not exactly sure what the order here is. If this is before Nehemiah or not. Um, But it's while they're in exile. It's after Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian has been overtaken by the persians and now uh, Xerxes is in power. Uh I'll try to go through this quickly. It's a, it's an awesome story. Uh what's what's interesting about it is it's this the there's details in it that are just um it's a product of its time and uh it it's not really judgmental of certain things that are just uh uh, kind of uh, a part of, of the way things were at this time in history. And so uh, Xerxes is in power. He's having a, a huge celebration. He has all the people come. He's showing off his wealth and uh, a huge lavish uh, celebration. Um, he gets drunk and uh, he's trying to get his queen, Queen Vashti, to come out, and he wants her to dress up and wear a crown, and he wants to show her off how beautiful she is, and uh, but she refuses to come out, and so he's really mad and insulted, and uh, he asks his advisors what he should do, and they say, well. She's insulted you, and her rebellion is against not just you, but against the entire kingdom. And um, they get worried that Queen Vashti refusing to come out and being uh, paraded around for his friends uh, is going to inspire their wives and the other women of uh, the kingdom to rebel against their husbands. And uh, so it's interesting. The whole story is kind of uh, uh, starts off with them trying to repress this kind of uh, women's movement. Um, And so they, they tell Xerxes he needs to get rid of the queen and find another queen. And they make a proclamation to the whole kingdom that Uh, men are to rule over their families. And so they send it out to the whole kingdom. And so they want now to replace Queen Vashti with a new queen. And so they have this uh, huge search. Xerxes sets up this whole thing. He has a guy named Haggai. Haggai. Goodness gracious. Uh, He puts a man in charge over it, uh, the search for a beautiful woman to uh, take the place of the queen. And uh, chapter 2, it sets up who Ezra is. Uh, It starts off talking about Mordecai, who uh, is a Jewish man who ended up there through the exile And he is the guardian of his uncle's daughter, and that is Ezra. That's who Ezra is, his uncle's daughter. And Mordecai is her guardian. And it says she's very beautiful, and when the king orders this big search for a queen, she is selected and taken to the king's palace, and uh, he basically has a huge harem set up. And he has all these beautiful women. And uh, it talks about how Esther quickly becomes the favorite of the, the man who's put in charge of uh, putting this whole harem together. Uh, she's given the best room and food and talks about beauty cosmetics. And she's given maids. And uh, Mordecai at this time warns her not to tell them she's Jewish. And this plays into it later. Um says every day he walks by and checks on her. Um, and so the way they have it set up, uh, these women in the harem each get a night with Xerxes. And it's finally... Uh, uh, Esther's turn to be with Xerxes, and Xerxes immediately falls in love with her, and he crowns her queen in place of the other queen, Vashti, and in honor, they throw a huge celebration. Uh, this time, Mordecai becomes a palace official, and uh, this comes into play when he becomes uh, this. official Uh, an official here he hears the other guards planning to kill Xerxes and he warns Esther and through Esther he warns the king and the king is saved from this plot to kill him so Mordecai saved Xerxes and that plays into the story later Um, chapter 3 gets into uh, Xerxes has promoted uh, a man named Haman to be the highest official in the kingdom. He's, he's uh, right up there with the king. And it says he's a descendant of Ag- Agag. And uh, that was an enemy of Israel, actually one that fought against Saul. And uh, everyone is made to bow down to this man, Haman, um, and give him respect, but Mordecai won't bow down to him. And he says it's because he's Jewish. And they keep pushing him and pushing him to kneel down to Haman, but he won't do it, and uh, he's totally furious because of this. And uh, so at this time, he decides, Haman decides, that he's going to have to take Mordecai out. He's going to have to kill him. And because he's Jewish, and Mordecai's saying he's he's. He's not uh, bowing down to him because he's Jewish. He, it's not good enough for him to just to kill Mordecai. He wants to rid the kingdom of all the Jews because he believes they'll be insubordinate. And uh, so he goes to Xerxes and tells him that he has all these Jewish people living in his kingdom, and they have their own customs and they don't follow their laws, and uh, which makes sense—they're exiles here, uh, but they're—they are are not assimilated uh, like Haman wants them to be, and he thinks they uh, will be rebellious. And so he wants uh, to get Xerxes to allow him to get rid of him and to kill them. And if he kills him, he will pay Xerxes uh, tons of silver that he takes from the Jewish people. And Xerxes says, okay, do what you want. And so Haman sends out letters to all the kingdom. That they are going to uh, kill all the Jewish people. Uh, A total uh, genocide here. And um, so it goes out into all the city and everyone. It causes great confusion in the kingdom. Um, When they hear this, when Mordecai hears it and the Jews hear this, uh, they go into fasting and lamenting. Uh, They're laying in sackcloth and ashes and um esther finally finds out what's going on she talks to mordecai and basically he tells her if she doesn't help um god will help them through somewhere else that's really amazing he says if you don't help help will come from somewhere else but if you don't help you're going to perish and he says don't think because you're in the king's palace you will escape And so Esther tells Mordecai and the Jews to go on a fast uh, to support her because she's going to go and talk to the king. And she says, if I die, then I die. It's a brave woman here. And so she goes to Xerxes, and Xerxes is happy to see her, and goes through this whole thing where he has a golden scepter, which gives his approval where she can ask things. And so she asks to have dinner, with the king and Haman. And so uh, Haman is happy because, well, he doesn't know at this point that she's Jewish and she's, she's the queen. So he sees it as great honor. He's proud that he gets to have dinner with the king and the queen. Um, and it talks about how Haman is really wanting to kill Mordecai and he's really mad that he didn't get his respect and honor, and he actually builds a gallows uh, at his house where he's going to hang Mordecai the next day. And uh, chapter 6, it gets into a story here where it says the king can't sleep at night, and I I believe this is divine intervention, and uh, he has... He goes back over the records and finds, uh, the story had been written down about how Mordecai had saved him from the guards, the plot to kill him. And, uh, he says, this, this man should be rewarded. And, uh, while he's, while he's looking at this stuff that day, Haman comes to see him. And, um... He's coming to ask if he can hang Mordecai that day. And uh, Xerxes asks Haman what he should do for a man he wants to honor. And Haman thinks he's talking about him, that Xerxes wants to honor Haman. But he's actually talking about Mordecai. So Haman says, oh, he should give him royal robes and a horse, lead him through the streets while everyone shouts, this is how the king honors a man. And uh, so basically dress him up and parade him around. And um, the king says, okay, that's awesome. That's a great idea. Quick, put put the royal robes on Mordecai. And uh, so Haman, who was coming to ask to hang Mordecai, is now having to put on the royal robes onto Mordecai. And he's totally humiliated. And uh, uh So then that leads into chapter seven. And uh, at the first dinner, the first dinner between uh, Ezra and Xerxes and Haman, it's basically a setup that she plans for a second one, a second dinner. And so, uh, so chapter seven gets into the second dinner. So the queen is there eating with them and the king asks what she wants and she says if you care for me and want to help me you can save me and my people because a reward has been put out for those who will kill her people and Xerxes, <laughs> Xerxes says who would do this and Esther says the evil man uh, that is out to get us is Haman, and the king is furious with Haman. And Haman starts begging Esther to save his life. He's down on his knees, and um, Xerxes seizes him, and uh, he has Haman hanged on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Uh Uh, So it's totally switched around on him. Um, Mordecai is honored when it was plotted to kill him. And the man who had plotted to kill him is now killed. And Esther uh, grows in power as queen. Uh, Everything that belonged to Haman is now given to Esther. Um, She tells him... uh, the king that Mordecai is her cousin and he becomes a high official uh, one of the highest officials in the kingdom Uh, but Haman had already sent out this letter to all the people uh, with this reward to kill the Jewish people so it's already going to uh, it's going to happen and so Esther is begging the king to stop this plan and he gives her permission to uh, write another letter. They write another letter telling the people, the Jewish people, they can defend themselves, and anyone that comes against them, they can destroy them and take everything that they have. And so the Jews all over the land are celebrating this announcement that they have uh, support to defend themselves. And so Mordecai has been... um, He's been elevated to this high official uh, place in the government, and the other officials are now beginning to fear him, and they're beginning to take sides with the Jews. And there was a specific day that was in the initial letter that Haman put out that there was a plan for everyone to come together and attack the Jews. And so uh, that day comes, and so the Jews gather today, gather together, On that day. And uh, they actually attacked the people. Who were going to harm them. And it says. They destroyed their enemies. Uh, They killed 500 people in the citadel. They hang all of Haman's. uh, 10 sons. Uh, Throughout the kingdom. The Jews fought their enemies. This is huge. It's a massive uh, war here. 75,000 people were killed. Um. And when it's over, the the Jewish people gathered together and had a feast and a celebration, uh, and they turned that day, the day of sorrow and mourning, the day that was supposed to be, uh, uh, the time that they were annihilated, into a celebration because that day was the day they were liberated from their enemies, and. Uh, they put it officially; it becomes an official holiday. They still celebrate it today. It's called Purim, it comes from the word Pur, which meant to cast lots, and it's, it uses that term cast lots because they were cast the enemies of the Jewish people were casting lots to see who, which people they would attack, and uh, so it's a two two day yearly remembrance of. Um, that will be commemorated throughout their descendants and generations and uh, of, of uh, God miraculously turning uh, this plan uh, to kill them into a day of celebration and liberation. And uh, it ends there. Chapter 10, Mordecai becomes the second in power to King Xerxes, uh, Mordecai was a popular leader and helped his people and spoke to the king on their behalf. And I think this is t- really kind of gives you some behind the scenes uh, into how uh, the Jewish people in exile found their way into such extraordinary favor with the Persian kings. Uh, part of it, you, you, you see some of the background there With the, the turmoil that uh, they went through in, uh, under Xerxes uh, But the, they came through on top And uh, I, I think it affected uh, Mordecai And Ezra affected the uh, support they had in returning to Jerusalem And so we get into Job here uh, we got a couple chapters in Job. Um, it's a doozy. Um, so it starts out uh, a long time ago. There was a man named Job. He lived in the land of Uz, somewhere in Arabia, uh, North Arabia. Uh, Job was a good and righteous person who followed God and did not do evil. He has seven sons, three daughters. He owned thousands of sheep and camels and oxen. Uh, He had a great home. Basically, he was the most prosperous person in this area. Uh, His sons and daughters uh, would have parties and feasts, drinking parties at each other's houses. And uh, uh, Job would go and make sacrifices to purify them. He believed they might be sinning against God um and then it gets into it says a day comes when the sons of god come before god and um it sort of shifts from talking about job to this other scene which is this supernatural scene uh this council of the gods and god and it calls them sons of gods these are little g gods Basically supernatural beings coming before God. God asks, and Satan's there. And uh, God asks Satan where he's been. He says, roaming the earth back and forth. uh, Kind of implying he's investigating humans. He's looking at them. He's uh, all over the place. God says, have you looked at my servant Job? He says, there's no one like him. He's righteous and upright. He does not do wrong. He fears God. Uh, Satan says he only fears you because you protect him and because his house is blessed and his land and his work is blessed. But if you uh, hit him, if you hit Job and destroy what he has, he will curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, I turn him over to you. You can go and be against him. And so the day comes when his servants come bearing bad news. And it's one after another. uh, These servants come in. First one comes, says invaders have come and taken your oxen and killed your servants. The next one comes in, says fire from heaven came down and burned up all your sheep and killed your servants. Another one comes in and says raiders came and took all your camels and killed your servants. And the last one comes in, and says your sons and daughters were having a party at their house and a great wind came and collapsed the house on top of them and killed all of them. Job gets up and tears his robe and shaves his head. And he says, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave. Uh, he's talking about with he came into the world with nothing and he's going to leave with nothing. And this is where he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but he will bless the name of the Lord. And it says, in all of this, Job did not sin or hold God as wrong for dealing with him like he did. Um, again, the day comes when the sons of God, the little G gods, come before the big G God, and again God asks Satan where he's been. He says roaming back and forth across the earth. Again, God says, "Have you looked at Job? He's still holding firmly to his integrity, and even though you destroyed." uh him for no reason and satan says well he will he will give up all he has to save his life but if you go after his his flesh then he will curse you and god says okay go after job then and so jake uh satan goes and afflicts uh job with leprosy and boils from head to toe and uh it's pretty nasty job is there and and uh sitting in ashes Scratching himself with broken pottery, uh, scraping these uh, this leprosy that's on him. Job's wife comes, and this is nice. Uh, it says you're still holding to your integrity. Curse God and die. Job says you talk like a godless woman. Should we receive what's good from God and not also what is bad? And all of this, Job did not sin. And then it introduces Job's three friends who come to visit him and show him sympathy and console him when they get there. They they see Job and they weep because they see what great pain he's in. They sit with him for seven days without saying a word, overcome with grief. And so that's the setup for Job. Uh, incredible story. This is, uh, I believe, an ancient story. And... Uh, there's a lot in there. There's some, uh, theologically, it gets pretty pretty interesting. Um, to me, I always, uh, my take from this is Job won't curse God. Uh, the, I, I don't understand all of it, but I do know that uh, one of the major points here is that in everything that he goes through, Job holds to the integrity uh, that God is good and he will not curse him or think ill of him. And so that's our Old Testament reading for today. We are going to now jump over to Acts. We're in the book of Acts. We are coming in at chapter 3. Peter and John are praying in the temple. Uh, There's a lame man begging at the gate. He asks them for money, and Peter says, Look at us. Look at me. I don't have any money. I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ I give you, stand up and walk. Incredible. Incredible uh, boldness. Uh, the boldness of the apostles is so uh, uh, so inspiring um, because you saw so much... Of their humanity in the Gospels um, that the way there there is a uh, momentum and uh, power happening uh, through them and through this group of early believers that is just uh, incredible to see this transformation uh, so uh, Peter says, I don't have silver or gold. What I have I give you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. The man jumps up and starts walking around and leaping and praising God. And all the people see him walking and praising God, and they are astonished. Uh, The people all come running to Peter and John, and Peter starts preaching to them. Uh, This kind of thing seems to happen a lot. He says, why are you amazed? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph glorified his servant Jesus, who you killed. You rejected the Holy One, and we, we witnessed it. Uh, you killed him, the originator of life, and God raised him to life, and we saw it. Through faith in Jesus' name, uh, uh, through the faith in Jesus' name, this man has been made whole. Um, he says you acted ignorant now repent and turn back from your sins so times of relief from your burdens can come through the messiah and he quotes moses says the lord will raise up a prophet like me among you you must obey him every person who does who does not obey him will be destroyed that reference comes up again god made a covenant with your ancestors saying to abraham In your descendants and in all nations, the earth will be blessed. God raised up his servant to bless you by turning you away from your sins. Chapter 4, while Peter and John are speaking, the priests and temple guards come up and they're angry because they're preaching in the name of Jesus. They seize them and put them in jail. That day, though, 5,000 came to believe in Jesus that day. Um, Incredible revival going on. The high priests come together the next day. They bring Peter and John in for questioning. They say, by what power or name do you do these? Did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Spirit, begins to preach again and testify. Uh, He says, are we being examined and questioned for a good deed? How was he healed? Let it be known to all of Israel that it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified that's how jesus the stone that was rejected by you became the cornerstone and there's salvation in no other name under heaven giving among people by which we must be saved incredible they're amazed because they they know peter and john they know they're uneducated like i said uh we saw these rascals in the gospel and uh but it says they could tell they were they had been with jesus and they see they're they're questioning them um while this guy who's been healed is standing there with them and everyone uh, can see him it, it was mir- miraculous amazingly good deed uh so they don't know what to do with them they can't say anything else so they let him leave They warn them, though, to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Uh, But Peter and John reply, Is it right for us to obey you or God? It's impossible for us not to speak of what we have seen and heard. They threaten them some more, and then they release them because the people are all praising God. And so the, the people during this time is really interesting, these mobs. They get stirred up on both sides. Sometimes it'll be a mob and they'll stone somebody. Sometimes uh, it's a big mob or group of people who are praising God and, and uh, uh, the authorities can't leverage them to do what they want or the authorities are scared of them. And so they have to leave the apostles alone. Peter and John return to the believers, other believers, and they're telling them everything that happened. Everyone is rejoicing and praising God, and this is amazing, with one mind, with one mind. It mentions this several times, how they were, there was a, a type of unity. To me, that's uh, one of the most mar- miraculous parts of, of the book of Acts, the early church, and why I think it was so successful and effective throughout the, the world was this one mind, this unity that was going on here. And... Uh, It says they pray, again, uh, it says, Master of all, you made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them through the Holy Spirit. You inspired David to say, why did the nations rage and people plot foolish things? The kings of the earth stood together against the Lord and against his Christ. Christ, meaning anointed king. And they're talking about how Herod And Pilate and the people of Israel had plotted against Jesus. Um, But they did what they did. Uh, They did uh, what you had already decided what would happen. Um, And now they are threatening them. And um, they ask for courage and bravery as they speak the message. And continue to preach. uh, Show your mighty power. And heal people. As you heal people. And work miracles and wonders. Through the name of Jesus. And uh, it says they're filled with the spirit. And they begin to speak the word of the Lord. Courageously. Uh, The group of believers. is Again it says of one heart. One mind. Everyone gave their shared. uh, Possessions. And shared together. Apostles. Uh, apostles uh, testified throughout Jerusalem of the res- uh, resurrection power. Um, there were no needy among them. People were selling their land and bringing the money to the group to be distributed amongst them. Uh, chapter 5 A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Uh, they become part of the group. They come, they have sold a property, but they have only brought part of it to the apostles. Um. So they've kept some back. And when they come, Peter says, Why has Satan filled your heart? Uh, Ananias, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit and holding back? You have not lied to the people, but you've lied to God. When Ananias hears this, he collapses and dies. Fear has gripped everyone. They carry him off. Three hours later, his wife Sapphira... Comes in, Uh, she didn't know what had happened. Peter asks her about the money, and she also lies about it. Peter says, why are you agreeing to test the Lord? The men who carried away your husband are now here to carry you off to be buried. And at once she collapses and dies. Fear grips the whole group. And uh, (laughs) wild story, (laughs) wild story. I'm not totally sure what to do with that. Um other than be better be honest, <laughs> um it continues on. it says the apostles uh perform many signs and wonders. uh this was a critical time, you know, uh in the early church and of of the the spread of the kingdom, and uh I don't. Uh, it was it was a critical and fragile time, and there were different times, and I think in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where there was not as much wiggle room or um, the margin of error was not. Uh, they couldn't mess around, not right then, and so the uh, requirements and um. The level of uh, integrity and uh, righteousness was at a whole other level, I think. And uh, I think that had to do with protecting the movement, uh, what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. And I think it could have uh, poss- possibly jeopardized the whole mission that was going on. That's my own take there. Um so through the apostles many signs and wonders are happening. Uh it says people are afraid of them, they're afraid to join, but they are respected, this group. They're kind of uh uh feared and respected. Uh but it also says many people do join. Um and and their popularity is is uh rising as well it talks about how they would sit uh sick people out and uh hoping in hopes that when peter would pass his shadow would heal them uh it's like next level uh uh celebrity here and um so it talks about how many even even from outside of jerusalem were bringing their sick and possessed and they were being healed uh at this time so much is happening the high priests are getting jealous so they have the apostles arrested they put them in jail uh but at night an angel comes and opens the door and leads them out tells them to go to the temple courts and begin to preach about this new life that they have and so they go before sunrise and start teaching um it talks, talks about the high priests are confused and, you know, what's going on. So they see them out there preaching. They had just arrested them. So they go and arrest them again. They bring them back to the high priests. Uh, again, they tell them, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And they say, stop blaming us for his death. And uh, again, Peter says, we don't obey people. We obey God. You killed Jesus but God raised him to life so that people would turn to him and be forgiven. And we are here to tell this. The council is angry at this. Finally, uh, this is interesting. One of the respected council members uh, speaks up and tells them there's been many other movements that have come along, and when their leader is killed, they basically die out. And they lose steam and eventually... Nothing comes of it. And uh, he's basically insinuating the same thing will happen. If you just leave them alone, they will be their own undoing, and uh, eventually this thing will peter out. And uh, he says if it's their own plan, then it will fail. But if it's God's, you can't stop it anyway unless you want to fight against God. Amazing. I love that. If it's God's plan, you can't stop it anyway unless you want to fight God. Um, they have the b- apostles beaten and then released. The ap- apostles are full of joy because they got to suffer for Christ's sake. They continue teaching and spreading the word of Jesus. Uh, the, the Chapter 6, the group of believers is becoming really large. Uh, Some people are complaining. There's different people, different people groups within this larger group uh, speak different languages and probably some different cultural things. And so, of course, there is conflict and people are getting uh, not the portion that they want. They're fighting over food and that they're getting withheld from. And uh, it's a whole big mess. So the apostles want to focus on... On the ministry and the ministry of preaching the word and God's uh, uh, proclaiming the gospel. And so they select seven respected men to be in charge over these issues. Everyone is happy with this. So they're delegating the issues of uh, the distribution of foods and goods to the people to these other ministers. Um says the number of disciples continues to in- increase greatly. And it even says a large group of priests had come to the faith. That's awesome. Now we get into the, the uh, story of Stephen. Uh, we're introduced to Stephen, a man they say was full of grace and power. Uh, God was performing amazing miracles through him, miracles and wonders amongst the people. Uh, he got into an argument some of the men, uh, some of the men at the synagogue start arguing with him. Uh, it says, "But Stephen answered them wisely through the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit inspired him, uh, and actually Jesus talked about that when they would uh, be challenged not to worry about what they spoke about because the Holy Spirit would inspire them the right words to say. That's exactly what happened." Uh, so they the, these men who are arguing are mad, so they go and instigate a whole other big group to come against Stephen, and they uh, uh, slander him and say he's blaspheming. And uh, so he gets this group to come get him, and they take him before the council. They bring false witness again uh, about his blasphemy against the Lord, uh, against God, and the temple, and... It's interesting, even right away here, they're mentioning that all who were there saw that Stephen's face uh, was like the face of an angel. Something supernatural in his appearance happening uh, already when they bring him before them. And so he's brought before the high priests and they say, is this true, Stephen, what they're saying? And... Again, I, this is what I was referencing earlier. Um, this story, this story, I feel like a broken record here. But it's what keeps happening. When the, when the exiles, uh, Jews came back and they're praying to God, um, they continually retell this story. They go through the whole thing. And so it's, uh, this is in them. It's in, uh, it's a, the story of, of uh, where they came from and their ancestors is how they understand the world and how they understand what's happening and, and um, Stephen uses the same uh, template here. And so he starts off, because he asks him if it's true, uh, what they're saying that you've been blaspheming God in the temple, and his answer is is to tell the whole story leading up to Jesus from Abraham. Uh, so he starts with Abraham. He goes all the way through uh, God's promise with Abraham to him and his descendants. He goes through the covenant. Uh, He talks about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and uh, how that led uh, through Joseph, the Jews ending up in Egypt and how they became slaves and then into Moses and the story of Moses and uh, talks about his time in Egypt and how God appeared to him in a burning bush, calls him to lead the people out of Egypt and he mentions this. They quoted this a couple times. Moses said, God will raise up a prophet like me among you. And they're talking about Jesus there. And uh, and so he he attaches this to the same way that the people had rejected Moses and worshiped other gods. In the wilderness and when they came to into the promised land, they worshiped other gods. And that God would exile them over this. And so they... Sol- and he goes through Solomon. Solomon built a temple for God. Uh, but God uh, actually is enthroned in heaven. And he says, you are like your ancestors. Uh, basically, the the, the the point he's really uh, hammering into them is that they're not getting it. Uh, they keep making it about these surface Things he he talks about the temple, he gets into uh, uh, the golden calf and their worshiping of other gods, Um, and and that God was really wanting their hearts and not these superficial other other uh, things, Uh, and so he says you're like your ancestors with your uncircumcised hearts. You persecuted the prophets. And you killed those who foretold about the coming of the righteous one, and now you have killed him. The angels gave you the law, but you do not obey it. Uh, They're enraged now at him. But uh, Stephen, filled with the Spirit, looks to heaven, and it says he sees the glory of God and Jesus. And he says, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It says, but they cover their ears, and they shout, and they rush at him, and they drag him out of the city, and they stone him. And it mentions one of the witnesses there was Saul, who later became Paul. We'll hear about him uh, more later. So they begin to stone him, and it says, while they're stoning him, he says, Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell down to the ground and shouted, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Then he died. Incredible, incredible—a story of of courage and boldness, and uh, um, the work of the Spirit in these apostles' lives. And uh, I just love it. I love, I love um, uh, this way of of tying uh, the present um into this into this biblical story, this larger larger story, and uh the way Stephen laid it out, the way um the people laid it out in Nehemiah and um uh knowing where where things had come from and how we got into this position, this situation and as a means of understanding where we're going and what we need to do and it's uh incredible and beautiful and uh man i just uh am so impressed by the uh courage and and uh boldness and really supernatural uh momentum uh that the early church had in the book of acts and um Uh, it's inspiring it it really is and uh, so that's it for this week guys Uh, thank you so much Um, we'll be coming back next week for week 26 Uh, thanks for tuning in Uh, subscribe and share and uh, we will see you next week everybody have a great week peace